Today's episode of The Overwhelmed Brain is brought to you by Haven Life Insurance Agency. Make life less hard by helping to financially protect those you love with term life insurance issued by Massachusetts Mutual Insurance Company. Visit welcome.havenlife.com forward slash brain and learn how easy it is to apply today. Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired of that same old rehashed personal growth advice that all seems to boil down to think positively and all your problems will go away. If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then I want you to get ready. The Overwhelmed Brain is here to help you create the life you want now. And welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain. I am your host, Paul Coliani. I'm a personal empowerment coach, and this is a show where I read your questions and help you tackle life's toughest challenges. I want to help you increase your emotional intelligence, strengthen your self worth and self esteem, and empower you so that you can make decisions that are right for you. Everything I talk about on the show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. All right, the first thing I'm going to talk about today is uh, emotional withholding. Well, I should probably call it supportive love withholding, affection withholding. It's when you withhold your support, your love, your affection, your attention from someone because they are withholding or they are doing behavior that you disagree with and typically you know that they know that they're doing behavior that you disagree with. And what happens in a relationship like this is that you get into a vicious loop. Like it continues to uh, loop where that person's not changing their behavior so I'm not going to give them any love or attention. And they think, well, they're not giving me any love and attention, so I'm not going to change my behavior. This is vicious. <laughs> this is something you don't want to get stuck in. And, uh, you know, I think we all have, well, I can't speak for everyone, but I think a lot of us have gotten in cycles like this. I know I have. I know I have gotten into a cycle where, uh, for example, when I was married, my wife had emotional eating challenges. And it was a huge trigger for me. Because if she eats, she gains weight. If she gains weight, then I fear that I won't be attracted to her. You know, this is all in the past before I realized that um, I had judgment issues and probably control issues. Maybe a little bit of narcissism. Certainly emotionally abusive. Uh, but I had a laundry list of things that certainly made uh, my relationships uh, probably harder than other relationships. And so, you know, being married... That was a relationship, and that was a relationship that really suffered. And being married, you know, you really want your partner, your spouse, to want to be with you and go, go through the struggles and be with you through thick and thin. You know the deal. And no matter what, you can make it out the other side. I thought that's what marriage was all about. I thought you just make it through the thick and thin no matter what. However, introduce emotional abuse or any type of abuse and then suddenly the vows don't apply anymore i may be saying something that is uh, pressing some buttons here but i agree with this i i believe that when you introduce abusive elements into the relationship 
and they do not stop, the vows don't apply. Now, that doesn't mean you should go cheat. That doesn't mean you should betray. That doesn't mean you should even lie. It just means that the marriage isn't as solidified as it was. Probably the wrong term. Maybe the marriage isn't uh, what it should be because you both made promises to each other and those promises were backed by love and hope that the other person will want to stay with you, probably faith that the other person will want to stay with you and continue to grow with you. But uh, when you introduce abusive elements, emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, uh, aggressiveness, um, elements that maybe uh, weren't seen in the beginning before the marriage or before there was really a commitment. Any of these elements that come into play, they can nullify this. I shouldn't be saying this, but in my opinion, they can nullify your vows. They can nullify your promises to each other because abuse wasn't part of the vows. I think um, this is probably terrible. I think maybe they should be like, as long as there's no abuse, these vows will be valid. As long as someone's not cheating or betraying, these vows will be valid. That would be terrible to put in your marriage vows. But, um, you know, I think it's an unwritten rule. Again, this is my opinion, and I'm sure that I'm pressing some buttons right now. But I, I fully agree with this because I'm coming from this side that was called out, I guess you could call it. I'm coming from the side of when I was married, I was the person that was not only accused of this, but rightly so. I mean, my wife didn't say I was emotionally abusive. She didn't call me abusive at all. She just knew something was wrong. She just knew that she was unhappy. She just knew that she was losing her passion and she was getting depressed. And four years of that, she just kept going downhill. And I just mean unhappiness and lack of motivation, sitting around all the time, not really getting up and doing anything. I thought it was all in her. But after I analyzed the relationship later and realized my own behavior was causing it, uh, I realized what was happening. It took a lot of healing, took a lot of growth, took a lot of vulnerability on my part, and it took her suffering through my healing and growth or my lack of healing and growth while we were married until I got to that point where I could heal, grow, and learn and get through this old pattern. Now, where I'm going with this is that what I said in the beginning was withholding. When you are in a space of withholding love and affection, very much like I was in my marriage, I would withhold love and affection when she was eating junk food or anything that I disagreed with. I would withhold it. I mean, it's, it's very similar to the silent treatment. You know, the way I look at the silent treatment is you emotionally withdraw from someone and you don't tell them why and they have to figure it out for themselves. That's one of the worst things you can do to someone. You know, I shouldn't say the worst things, but it's pretty awful. It's really bad to do that to someone, to withdraw, never tell them why you're withdrawing and leave them in limbo. I mean, there are... I will say this, there are valid reasons to do that. You need to process something and it may take you a day to process. I'm a big fan of not letting it go past one day. I'm a big fan of, you know, getting together and saying, I want to tell you why I've been withdrawing. 
I mean, I would love that. If my girlfriend, when we first got together, she would give me uh, a very much equivalent to the silent treatment. And uh, if she just, you know, took a day to herself and I, and I felt disconnected because, you know, she wasn't there, she was withdrawing. Uh, and then she came to me and, say, and told me, you know, I want to tell you why I withdrew. I would be like, whoa, this is fantastic. This is great. Thank you. Let's talk about this. And it took a while before we got to that level because it took me a while to figure out what the heck was going on. Because when she got mad at me for something I said or did, whether it was something to get mad at or not, it was the way she interpreted it or it was the way I said it, whatever. When it came to that point where she withdrew and became emotionally disconnected and I asked her if everything's all right and she said it was fine, what are you supposed to do? You're just supposed to sit back and wait for them to come back and hope it just passes. But sometimes you think, well, maybe it's just me. Maybe I think that she's disconnected and she's not or he. Maybe I think that they're just going through their phase and they'll come back. But what do you do when it happens day after day after day or week after week or uh, it ebbs and flows? Like sometimes they're fully connected and sometimes they're not. I look at these patterns as emotional withholding and a version of the silent treatment when you sort of disappear from your partner for a while as if you need to get away and you don't want them in your mind even though that's all that's on your mind because you're thinking of something they're doing or they're not doing or something that they said or didn't say or whatever. You need to get away for a while and be in your own thoughts so you can figure out what to do next. This pattern, again, has some justification if you need to process things, but you can't let it last too long. Uh, if you let it last too long, then this pattern repeats itself and never gets addressed. I mean, as long as you address it, it's, it's fine. If you let it last a day or two and then you address it, great. But in my experience with the couples I've worked with, with a lot of people I've talked to, they will let it last for a few days, sometimes longer, and then never address it. And then they suddenly feel better because they repressed the negative emotions further down so they don't have to feel them. Or it came out in crying or they talked to their best friend. It was released somehow, maybe not fully, but it was expressed, vented, so that they can come back to a place of normalcy and get back to their, quote, normal relationship. And what happens in that case is that you still carry around the residue from that emotional withdrawal. You still carry it around and it comes up in future conversations, future connections. And every time you withdraw from your partner or they withdraw with you, from you, a bit of love is lost. I might be exaggerating a little bit, but not a lot. I, I really think a bit of love and trust and a feeling of security, knowing the relationship's going to last, a bit of faith in the relationship is lost. So I want you to think about all the times you withdrew and why you withdrew and why you didn't talk about it. Why wouldn't you talk about why you withdrew? Well, because he or she hurt me so bad and they don't think they're wrong, so I have nowhere to turn. That all may be true or something else. And it may be very justified in your mind why you did it. But I want you to also think of the long-term effects of it happening repeatedly. Because if it's never addressed, 
then it builds and it builds and it builds and you carry it with you into all of your future interactions with your partner and even into your life. You bring it to work. You bring it home. If you have kids, you bring it home to your kids. Uh, you certainly bring it home to your spouse or your partner or into, into your friendships. Sometimes friendships are a little easier because you can release and vent and share everything that you normally may not share with your partner which I think sometimes can be a lesson for our relationships. Why can I share so much with my best friend, but I can't share these things with my partner? I mean, that's pretty telling of what's going on. That doesn't mean you have to share everything you share with your best friends. I like the fact that my girlfriend talks about me, even vents about me to her friends. I prefer that. <laughs> if she can release some negative emotional energy about me, you know, that could mean anything. It doesn't mean I'm a bad guy. It doesn't mean I'm horrible. It just means that something built up inside of her that she was reacting, she was responding. And again, maybe rightly so. Maybe I did something that I didn't mean to do, or maybe I meant it. Maybe I called her something or told her something that I really wanted her to feel bad. I don't normally do that. But, you know, we get in these conversations and we might say things that just slip by and we don't realize it impacts our partner until they hold on to what we said or did and hold on to it and withdraw and then finally share it with their friends and their friends uh, talk about it with them and they figure out what's going on and she vents it out and suddenly she comes home and she's a new person. As long as there's no residue. If she's able to vent it out and she's not holding on to it anymore and she can move on without even thinking about what happened in the past with well, that conversation, if there's no negative emotional impact by bringing up that conversation again, then she is fine. She can move on. It's not even an issue. There's no lingering effect. There's no residue. However, if we bring up the conversation again and I can see her going into that emotional space and she says, well, that still pisses me off. Yeah. Then I know there's something there. And I know there's something we should probably talk about. I do this too. Like just last night, we had a talk. And it got a little heated. Fortunately, we don't have too many heated talks. But when they come, I realize, oh good, there's something about to be resolved here. <laughs> I don't say that immediately. At first I say, oh crap, she doesn't understand me. I need to get this message out so that she does understand me. And so I try to get my message out and she tries to get her message across. And we really do our best at listening to each other. Even in the moment, I know it's going to pass because we both give each other a chance to talk. So when she's saying all these things and I, and I can hear stuff come up that I absolutely disagree with, I sit there in silence. I absorb it all. And I wait to see if she has some valid points. And now, just because she does, she often does, have some valid points, uh, it doesn't mean I immediately agree and say, oh, it's all valid. You're right. I will just put my head down and walk away with my tail between my legs. I don't often do that, but I will listen because I want her to get to the point where she has released all of this stuff. This is the difference between having a partner that only vents to their friends and then you get none of it. So you don't really know the deeper levels of what's going on sometimes. And, and this can be okay sometimes. I'm not, I'm not putting that down. 
But if you want a closer connection with someone, it's really important to let them be able to speak their mind and you listen without jumping in and saying, well, no, that's wrong. Let me tell you why you're wrong. I'm not saying that won't happen. I'm saying that when you are able to just sit and listen and realize that this is their perception of you, this is their perception of what's going on in the relationship or what happened in that conversation or what you did that hurt them. It's their perception. That doesn't make it true, but it also doesn't make it false. It makes it what they believe to be true. It makes their take on it something they're trying to process and something they're trying to convey back to you. And so who are you going to be when they are emoting and expressing and venting and even yelling? Who are you going to be in that moment? Are you going to be the person that may actually realize that some of what they say could be right? Even if it's not, quote, the truth, but it could be right according to their perception. Because that's what my girlfriend and I talked about last night, trusting someone else's perception. I said, you have a problem trusting my perception. (laughs) And she said, well, yes, yes, I do. And I said, "Uh, well, there you go. You know, all you need to do is trust my perception of what I believe happened. And she goes, well, I can't. And I said, well, that's a problem. I mean, it wasn't that bad, but it was a heated uh, conversation. It came down to, I can tell she doesn't trust my perception of the events that unfolded because I was telling her about an email I received and how I took it and she saw me as superior and maybe I have a big ego because I was how I was handling it. I said, no, 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 you're, you're misunderstanding. I said, you know, I get these emails sometimes that all they want to do is take from me. I'm not talking about the personal letters that I read on the air. I'm talking about business emails that people reach out to me and say, hey, I hear you have a big audience. Can I put my stuff on your show for free? Will you please give this product to your audience? You know, things like that. And I'm not saying I nix every one of them. I'm saying that there's a certain spamminess to some messages I get. And um, I just wanted to vent a little bit and saying, you know what? I don't want these people reaching out and taking. It feels so... I want to take all this time and effort that you put into the overwhelmed brain and ride on your success wave. And even if I was wrong about that, I just wanted to get it out of my system and express this to her. And she goes, well, you know, they're probably just trying to network. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. I told you how she wrote the email. And then I told you how she um, backtracked and said, oh, I must have been thinking about another podcast, so on and so forth. And I said, that really felt um, marketing and salesy and a little scammy to me. And she tried to bring it back to, well, that person probably didn't realize what they were saying and they were probably an amateur. I was like, no, you're not listening to me. And so the conversation got more and more heated because I just wanted to vent it out. I wanted to take out this residue in me of people trying to, I don't know the word, leech off my success or something or leech off my popularity. That's not exactly how I want to say it, but that's along the lines of the feeling I had. And so our our conversation heated up and I said, no, this is my perception of what happened. It may not be what she meant, but this is my perception of what happened. And my girlfriend kept saying, well, she probably meant it this way. And I said, I don't want logical explanations. I just want you to hear me. I just want you to let me vent, even if I'm wrong. And she goes, oh, well, yeah, okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> and we finally got through it. And I think we reached a resolution. But it took a while to get there. And um, my point about that was the whole thing was her talking and talking and telling me her side and me talking and talking and telling her my side and actually having a productive heated conversation. There may have been some feelings in there, but we finally got to the end of it. And at least we could tell that each other were heard. We may not have been fully understood, but we tried to understand each other. We tried to get on board. And I finally saw her point after the conversation, after I cooled down a little bit. And she, I think, saw my point too. Because sometimes you don't always get the point in the heat of the moment. I call that a healthy argument. Maybe not an argument, but I call it a healthy conversation. Even if it turns into an argument, even if there's a temper flares, even if feelings are hurt, at least there was the conscientiousness of allowing the other person to speak and really hearing what their challenge was with it. And also later on to be able to connect again, maybe not at the full level, but at a level where you aren't withdrawing because you got it all out. That's where I'm going with this is that when you can either withdraw, which pulls it all in and keeps it with you and creates a residual that you carry around with you, or you can let it all out. I think I said that on another show where my uh, sister and her husband, when I was younger, would yell at the top of their lungs, even in front of other family. And it was very interesting. <laughs> I don't know why I was like, it was scary. I don't think I, I felt frightened. But it was just very interesting because you'd start to hear screaming in the other room. And uh, it was just odd because a lot of people don't behave that way. But they're still married today and they have their challenges and they get through their challenges. And I have a feeling it's because there's probably no such thing as the silent treatment in their house. There may be some withdrawing here and there. I don't know. But it sure seems to me that they just get it out. They throw it on the table. They put it all out there. I kind of admire that. I think there are better ways to do it. You know, let's bring this outside. Let's go yell in the car. Uh, but like I said, they're still married and they seem quite happy. So let me go back to my original point, which was withholding love, attention, and affection and support for someone when they're doing something or saying something. They're doing behavior that uh, you don't agree with, so you withhold. And they are likely to withhold as well their love and affection and attention and support back because you are withholding. I mean, it usually starts with someone. And I want to tell you that, again, this is very damaging to a relationship when you both withhold. Okay, what if someone decides to let go and not withhold anymore and decides to give the other person love and attention and affection and support? Uh, what does that person do then? Now, what can happen, I'm going to give this a 50-50. <laughs> what, what can happen 50% of the time is that the other person suddenly is receiving love and attention and support that has been withheld for who knows how long. And now they feel a little bit safer to suddenly come around and give the same back to you. That can happen. I've seen that happen. I've had it happen in my life where I've withheld, and then I realized, why am I withholding? Does she deserve this withholding? Am I just torturing her? So I decided to just get over myself 
and love the way I would want to be loved, support in the way I would want to be supported, and just give it all and see what happened. And I tell you what, nine out of 10 times in my life when I do that, they let down their emotional armor. They release what they're holding on to, or at least vent it, or somehow express it, or even apologize. And that has happened more often than not, where they'll finally come around and say, you know what, I'm sorry for the way I've been treating you. And of course, I had already been the one to release first, and I'll say, no, I'm sorry. I mean, that's the best kind of apology, isn't it? When you go, look, I want to say I'm so sorry. No, let me say I'm sorry. I mean, it feels pretty good when that happens. It doesn't always happen because the other person might say, you should be sorry. What you did really hurt me. I'm going to tell you what, if you hear that, that's really good. The other way is more fun, easier to get through. But this way, you should be sorry. You really hurt me. Boy, if you hear that, consider that a very good thing. Because whatever's down there is finally being connected to, is finally being let out. The other person feeling safe enough to let that stuff out. So if they start going off on a rant on you, this is great. This is really good news. Not because all the stuff they're saying about you is bad or wrong or offensive. Not because any of that. But because if it doesn't come out, it stays in. It becomes the residue. It becomes the lingering emotional triggers that come up time and time again in many unrelated events in the future. Because if you're in a relationship where they don't express themselves in that way, or they're afraid to, or they just have some other reason that they don't want to bring this stuff up, then you are with someone who's probably holding in a ball of energy, a ball of negativity. And he or she does behavior motivated by that ball. Could be fear, could be anger, could be sadness. But a lot of decisions are made by the ball of energy that we carry around with us. Are you holding on to a ball of energy? Because if you are, it's time to release it. It's time to express it or at least talk to somebody about it so that it doesn't drive other behavior. Because the kind of behavior that creates a rift, creates a separation in relationships is usually driven by older stuff that we're still hanging on to. So my final point on this, when it, when it comes to withholding, I'm withholding my love and support and affection toward that person, is that in order for this, what I would call a love draining cycle to end, where you both want the other person to change, you have to decide to make the decision to change yourself. And this may be the impetus that changes everything. Just like I decided to be loving and supportive and caring and nurturing to my wife when I was married or to my girlfriend now, when they were also withholding because I just chose to take, I don't want to say the high road, they weren't taking the low road. We were both in the same place, but one of us had to take the step forward. And I just take the step forward. I'm just going to swallow my pride, take the step forward, and, and just connect. Now, the other person may not want to connect. The other person may be livid. The other person may be very hurt. But at least you've opened the door. When neither of you open the door, it stays locked. It stays shut. 
So this is where some couples end up and they could go for years like this. It's just not worth it. Don't do that kind of behavior. One of you has to step forward. Now, what you'll find out is that if the other person doesn't want to open that locked door, but you do, you've opened it, you are going toward them and you want to show them attention and love and support, even though you might still have some feelings about it, and they choose not to connect with you, and they still withhold, and they won't open up, then you'll certainly have things to talk about. And if they don't see it as an issue, then you might have some decisions to make. That's probably something in another episode that I've talked about, those big decisions. So take this with you. Don't let the silent treatment, don't let withdrawing love and affection and emotion be what drains your love for each other. Be right back after this. So my girlfriend keeps telling me to look into uh, life insurance. Now, I'm sure she doesn't expect me to leave anytime soon, but it's something I've never thought about my entire life. I think it's because I've never really accumulated much stuff. And it turns out that my beliefs about life insurance were simply wrong, or at least never really thought through. When my dad died, my sister reached out to all members of the family to gather enough money to bury him. It was a sad time already. But to deal with those emotions at the same time as being asked to shell out money for his burial was very difficult for all of us. I realized that the whole process would have gone a lot easier if he had life insurance. We would only have to worry about the logistics and not the money. I also realized just recently, with my girlfriend's help, that if anything happens to me, she will not be able to pay for my part of our combined income, leaving her with some very hard choices. This scares me a little because I really don't want to put her in that position if that happens. I want her to have a safety net to help her take care of herself through the challenge. Like I said, I didn't think much about life insurance. Then I discovered Haven Life Insurance Agency. Now I do my own research on all the sponsors for this show to make sure that my values are in alignment with their values so that when I share them with you, you know they are someone I would do business with directly. Haven Life offers term life insurance issued by Massachusetts Mutual Life Insurance Company, which has a long history of financial strength. 160 years long. They take a very personal approach to the term life insurance application experience, making it easy to get a quote and apply for coverage online. And remember, this isn't about doom and gloom. It's about financially protecting those you love and the peace of mind that can result. It's also affordable. For example, a 35-year-old woman in excellent health can get a $500,000 20-year Haven term policy issued by Mass Mutual for about $18 a month. So rather than guess how much coverage could cost you, go to welcome.havenlife.com forward slash brain, get a quote and find out for yourself. The website is welcome.havenlife.com forward slash brain. See how Haven Life is changing the way people buy life insurance so that it's actually simple.
All right, for this second segment, I'm going to read an email, or at least pieces of an email from someone I'm going to call Abby, and I'm going to respond to each piece. I made some highlights here, and I wanted to make comments on each piece. And it has to do with some of what we talked about already, but other things that I want to comment on in her email. She starts off by saying, my partner and I have been in a disconnected state for almost a year. That's very related to what we were just talking about. Uh, There was a loss that I think we each blame each other for. And rather than trying to move forward together and improve the foundation of our relationship, we've been uh, what I can only call emotionally separated, but living under the same roof. All right, before I address that little segment, I want to thank you, Abby, for sharing this, for expressing this to me. And um, hopefully my responses will be helpful. So this first uh, little section of your email, you said something that I want to Uh, pick out. And that is blaming each other. So absolutely, when there's something that happens in the relationship, and you blame each other, talk about one of those vicious cycles that never end. Yes, I blame you. It's obvious it's your fault. No, it's your fault. This is why that is a very hard to get out of loop. How do you get out of it? Well, the easy answer is you stop blaming. That's the easy answer. I know. (laughs) But I tell you what, I have been in this spot where I knew it was the other person's fault. And she knew it was my fault. And it didn't matter. We could go round and round. I can have all the facts. I could show her the video. She could show me the video. And we could point out different things. Not that there would be a video, but you get what I mean. You just bring all this evidence to the table and you still can't get past it. I like to do this. I like to get into a space of what is more important here, that I'm right and that I prove her wrong or that this relationship prospers, that I am spending day after night after day with someone that I want to feel responsible and take the blame for something. Is it so important that I'm right that it overrides the importance of the relationship as a whole? That's a good question. Because if it is, then what's the point? And I say that with some trepidation because you know you want to work on your relationship. But if it's more important to be right about this one subject, even though it could be the biggest subject in the world, it could be the biggest problem in the world, if it's more important than the relationship itself, then you probably don't have the strength in the relationship to survive other things. I'm going out on a limb there. I may not be 100% correct on that. But let me just say this. When you're both in blaming mode, you're both stagnant and you'll never get anywhere. And this is one of those love-draining, continuous events that never ends. And where I've gone in the past is just to tell myself that it really doesn't matter who's right. I would rather be in a loving, supportive relationship to get past this than try to be right in this situation. So what I will do is apologize. I'm so sorry I blamed you. I take responsibility for my role in what happened. I could have done this better. I should have done this differently. I just take responsibility. Now, do I do this with every single situation that ever comes up? Let's just say that, you know, so-and-so betrayed you, cheated. 
Would I take responsibility for that? Uh, hell no. <laughs> I wouldn't. No matter what I did, even if I was emotionally withdrawn for six months, I still wouldn't take responsibility for that kind of behavior because I have values and I have boundaries and I absolutely believe that that is a violation of our relationship boundaries. It's just a violation. So in that case, the blaming and her taking responsibility would override the relationship as a whole. But let's just say it was a lesser offense. Is it so important to me to continue to pursue that the other person take responsibility? Is it so important that I am right in this moment that I am willing to give up the rest of the relationship until they finally give in? Because if the answer is no, then you can let it go. I know that's easier said than done, but you get past it and then you apologize for your role in it without pointing the finger back at them. Look, I'm sorry. You know what? I should have done this differently. I should have done this. I, I do take responsibility for my role in this. I do. I'm not saying you take responsibility for the whole thing if it's not all your responsibility or your fault. You just say, you know what? I did do things that led to this. Now, if you did absolutely nothing and you can't figure it out and they refuse to take responsibility for what they did ever, ask them what you did wrong. Ask them. I mean, they probably already told you, but what do they say? And then if you disagree with that, this is where you get into trusting their perception. I'm not saying this works for everything. I'm not saying that there are people out there who won't manipulate you and influence you and you know, try to take control of the situation. There are people like that. If you're with someone like that, you probably already know this in some way, shape, or form, hopefully. I'm talking about a somewhat normal relationship where you get stuck and you're blaming each other for whatever. Okay, one of you steps out of the blame and says, you know, I'm sorry. I should have done things differently. I should have done this. And just like the last segment, more often than not, the other person is finally going to put their defenses down and say, look, you know, I'm sorry for what I did too. But it always takes the first person to step in and do that. Now, they may not. And that leads to a different type of conversation. And you may be the only one who steps down and says, you know, I'm sorry about that. And they may have a way of feeling justified, but do they stick it in your face every time now? Are they now even more angry with you and pointing the finger at you? And are they allowing their wanting to be right, their righteousness to override the relationship and the love and connection that really should be at the top of the list? Are they allowing that to override the love and connection that really should be in the relationship? Because if they are, that's a different conversation. That might lead to something else. That might lead to tougher decisions. Anyway, let me read another segment of Abby's email. She says, there are things on both sides that we want the other to work on. He feels like he can't count on me as a partner and does all the heavy lifting and responsible adult tasks. And I feel like he has hurt me emotionally by disconnecting and not being affectionate. All right, there's a vicious loop right there, isn't it? I am going to withhold because you're not doing your part. And I am going to withhold because you are not giving me love and attention and affection. Now you're stuck. Now there's no way out of that. So my only comment here, because we've kind of covered this already, is what exactly would make your partner happy? 
is probably a bad way to say it, so let me just put it this way. I had an episode on valuing your partner's values. What does your partner find valuable that if you were to do it would make them happy? Or if you were to support in some way, shape, or form their values would make them happy? Now, you may already be doing this, and your partner may not be able to be happy. They may not be able to get to that space because there's so much anger in them or something. But I always like to go in the direction of what can I do for my partner that after I do it, they're going to see that I really do care and I really do support their happiness and I really do value what they value. I may not agree with all their values, but I value what they find important to them because if I value what they find important to them, that means I'm supporting them. That means I'm supporting their happiness. So if your partner likes to hang fishnets on the ceiling. My dad did that. <laughs> I'm trying to think of an example. My dad used to hang, you know, fishing nets. I don't, know, I don't think they're called fishnets. Fishing nets. <laughs> fishnets are probably something else. Uh, maybe clothing. Um, but fishing nets on the ceiling. And he, he would have like buoys up and um, other aquatic and nautical things around his house because he liked to fish. And it was a neat little decorative thing. Uh, I would never do it in my house, but I'm not into that stuff. So let's just say the person you're with values that and you can't stand it. (laughs) You are into flowers and curtains and colors and they want it to look like a wharf. (laughs) They want it to look like a marina, whatever. So you have this resentment towards it. Every time you see it, you have this resentment towards it. And until they take it down, you're not going to like it and you're going to withhold and you're not going to show them any attention or love until they pull it down. Imagine living your life with someone like that for years. Yeah, my wife hates this, but I love it. and I don't want to take it down, but she gives me crap every time. Imagine that's your life. I, I hate to say that. It might be your life. It might be someone who's listening right now saying, yeah, that's exactly what's happening to us. But imagine the one day where you said, you know, I'm okay with it now. In fact, I'm more than okay with it because I see how happy it makes you. Whoa, what would that feel like? That would feel pretty good. It does feel good because that's what happened to me. I remember when I was married, um, I told you this story before if you've been listening a while. I finally got a job after we were going to the soup kitchen for months and I finally got work and I was there for three weeks and I hated it. I hated the job and they were going to make me do more things that I hated and I felt stifled. I felt like a prisoner. Because now I was making money, but I hated it. And, I, and it meant I had to stay in some place I hated just to make money so that we wouldn't have to go to the soup kitchen. So I called my wife and I'm telling her, God, I hate this job, but I can't quit. I feel like a prisoner. I just don't know what to do. And I felt like crying. And she said, I'll support anything you want to do. I don't want you to feel that way. And then I did start to cry because it was just the most liberating thing ever anyone has ever said, most supportive thing anyone has ever said to me. I said, what? But we'll go back to the soup kitchen. I mean, we're going back to being broke again. She said, I just want you to be happy. That was it. That was it for me. I hung up the phone with her and gathered my stuff, walked over to my supervisor. He saw that I had all my stuff and he looked surprised. And then he realized what I was like, what I was going to say. And I told him, you know, I'm sorry, this isn't the job I expected and I am not going to be working here anymore. And I left. 
that was the most amazing ride home I've ever had. <laughs> Knowing I was going to be broke the next day. I'm sure I had a paycheck coming, but that was going to be gone. But I knew that we were going to end up back in the soup kitchen, and that made me happier than ever. It was because I got that kind of support, and I would not have been happy had I not got that support. Had she said, you need to stay there. This is our only income. How dare you even think about quitting? Why would you do that to us? Had she said that, I would have been, I wish I could swear, freaking miserable. I would have been miserable. I would have done it because I'm going to do it for the relationship, but I would have been an awful mess. And for her to do that, it freed me. She valued my values. She valued my principles. She valued me so much that she was willing to go through this process with me. She was willing to go back to a life that we did not want, but she valued my happiness more than the money that I was bringing home. It's not something everyone can do. I'm not saying that this is the best course of action for everyone. Sometimes there's kids. Sometimes there's hospital bills. And I'm not saying that this is for everyone. I'm saying that you look at the values and the principles and the person you're with and you ask yourself, how can I support them so that they feel as if they are loved and worthy and that they matter? How can I support them in that? That might mean I make decisions that aren't necessarily in my best interest or I don't want to make because I don't like that color. I don't like fishing nets on my ceiling. That might mean you make decisions that aren't necessarily in alignment with something you want for you. But what happens when you do that is that the other person typically wants to give back, wants to value you and your values. And what also can happen is that someone, I'll just use this example again, who has these fishing nets up and all this nautical stuff up, who knows that it really ticked you off all these years, suddenly says, you know, we really don't need all this stuff up there. I took most of it down. Where it shocks you. What? I didn't want you to do that. Yeah, but I realize how much it upset you. And inside they're saying, you know, I kept it up all this time because I didn't want to feel like you were controlling me. Who knows? That could have been in there. That kind of commentary, that kind of inner dialogue could have been in there, which caused them to keep things the way they were because you refused to allow it to be. So there could be something to that. Like I said, this isn't for everyone, but it's worth looking into. It's worth understanding where you stand in a relationship and what you're allowing to upset you that maybe if you came to an acceptance with it, you can't accept everything. There are limitations, there are boundaries, but when they haven't reached that level, when they are just certain things that really tick you off or really upset you, what can you give genuinely toward that person to show them that you support them, that you really want them to be happy? So there's what I have to say about that little uh, section of the email. Let me go to another one. Abby says, last week I tried to follow your advice and listening to what issues he was bringing up in a manner that he could say what he felt and I wouldn't fly off the handle but I nearly bit my lip off and couldn't stop myself. It's very much a situation where he wants me to work on what he has identified and then he will give me what I need from the relationship. Am I wrong in thinking that it should be that way? 
So again, we've sort of discussed this already, but let me just say this. Can you love someone enough to take yourself out of the equation long enough for them to talk about you? Does that make sense? Can you love them enough to take yourself out of the equation so that you aren't sitting there reacting defensively? And I don't mean in abuse. I mean, if they're abusing you, that's a different story. But can you be with someone who is saying all these things about you and really hurts and some of it's not even true long enough for them to vent it out, long enough for them to get that ball of energy out of them so they can finally say what's been on their mind. Can you love them enough to do that? That's really an unfair way to ask it. I know it is. But I asked it in that way to maybe poke at you a little bit just in case that this helps you understand that by letting them vent, by letting them say things that you may know are untrue or maybe even hurt you badly, letting them get it out is a path to having a better conversation about it. And in my experience, when they finally let it all out, and they're almost exhausted to the point where they can't really say anything else. They've said it all. They can come back to a calmer, more rational state of mind and feel better having let it out. And at that point, you can address, you know, when you said this about me, that's just not true. And now they're not so much in the moment at the time. This doesn't always work, but. What happens is you let them vent it all out. You let them say what they're going to say and you take mental notes. And yes, you can address these things. And maybe you want to have your opportunity to let it out too and let some steam out. If your partner is willing to allow you to do that too, that's even better. Sometimes that doesn't work out. Sometimes you don't have a partner that does that. But if you let them let it out, often they will get to the point where they realize, geez, all I'm doing is browbeating this person. All I'm doing is just keep putting them down and keep putting them down and they're not defending themselves. They really start to question what they're saying and if it's true or not. It doesn't happen always, but it can happen. It's not the only reason why you let them vent. I mean, the other reason is because if they let it out, it can go away sometimes. I mean, this has happened where you can have a problem in your relationship for years, then the other person finally lets it all out and you let them speak and you don't argue back and suddenly they feel better. It's not an issue anymore because they were able to release the energy behind it. Because sometimes people hold on to things for so long that there's so much energy behind it that the original point they wanted to make is lost. <laughs> it gets lost in translation or lost over time when they vent it out. And that original point doesn't even apply anymore sometimes. Sometimes all it is is negative emotion that needs to be released. It depends on how long it's been and what it's about, but that can happen too. So my point here is that it's very important to allow your partner to express and vent. And like you were saying, Abby, you just bit your lip and you couldn't handle it and you had to say something back. That's because you are more worried about defending yourself, telling the other person that you're right, they're wrong, or something like that. And you find that probably more important than succeeding in a relationship as a whole. I'm not saying it's not a component. 
you you know part of the success of a relationship is being able to express yourself and feel heard feel understood and that is part of what makes the relationship uh, stronger and more bonding but when it's the only focus that i must be heard that you must acquiesce and you must see that i'm right about this when that becomes your only focus the rest of the relationship can can dissolve can can be affected and that's just not good okay a few more things from your email i'm trying to see things from his perspective and i've been trying to apologize genuinely when i am wrong but i don't know how i can make him understand that it can't just be me trying uh, you're right i mean if you're the only one trying and you're apologizing and you're doing things that are you know trying to get the relationship back on track and, and you're taking responsibility, you're taking some blame, whatever. If you're doing all of these things and your partner's doing nothing back, no effort put toward creating a better relationship, not even acquiescing a little bit, saying, you know, you shouldn't take all the blame for that. If that's not happening, then you may have a more controlling partner that just doesn't want to be wrong. When you're in that situation, I don't know what to tell you. That I feel bad for you. There's probably some emotional abuse there. If you're with a controlling person who believes it's all you, you need to fix yourself. If your partner believes that, then you're no longer relating. You're no longer in a relationship. You're a single person with someone else who wants to control you. I hate to say it that way, but that's what it seems like to me. When someone is controlling and doesn't take any of the responsibility, because it's always 50-50 in a relationship, otherwise there wouldn't be problems. <laughs> you have to take 50% of the responsibility. If you're not there, there's no relationship, which means there's no problem in the relationship. If you're there, you are part of the problem. You are the component in the formula that creates the problem. Even if one person is 100% right and the other person is 100% wrong, the 100% right person, because they're in the equation, is part of the problem. So that's why it's important for both people to be part of the solution. Being part of the solution means all right, I will take responsibility for my role in this. And even though I don't agree that I was responsible at all, I still want to do what I can to help resolve this and help the relationship thrive and prosper. So what can I do? Well, maybe you can just admit when you're wrong. And, and hopefully that will lead to conversation. Hopefully that will lead to someone being compassionate enough to know that if you put the entire burden on the other person, that it's going to feel very one-sided. You got to make it two-sided. You got to make it part of a relationship, not a single person being controlled by another single person. It doesn't work that way. So I agree with you. It shouldn't be only you trying. All right, the next thing is, I feel like things are crumbling and I can't seem to hold it together, which is ironic because generally in my family and work, I am the person that holds everyone and everything together. All right, this tells me that you may have a problem with people-pleasing. If that's the case, uh, I'm going to tell you right now, you need to work on your personal boundaries. So I don't know for sure. I'm taking a big guess here, Abby, but if you are the one who holds it all together and tries maybe to even fix things, then you are way too involved. You are not letting anyone fail so that they can learn how to succeed. You're not letting anyone feel pain so that they know how to heal. 
You're only preventing things from happening, which never lets anyone learn and disempowers them. I hope I'm not offending you, but if you hear those words and they ring true to you, you need to step back out of people-pleasing. And that may be difficult because if you are the type of person who likes to fix other people's problems and hold things together, then you may be gaining attention and love that way, which is not very functional. It's codependent. It's very dysfunctional. So if that resonates with you at all, then I would highly recommend you work on personal boundaries. And that means when someone says, hey, can you help? And you really don't feel like helping, you actually say no. I'm not saying every time, but this is an example. You actually say what you are feeling like, no, I really can't. I don't want to. I don't want to work this weekend. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. Or whatever. You just start to work on what you want for you. Because if you're holding everyone else's stuff together, then you're not holding your own. It's just you don't have the time or the energy to hold your own. It's all about self-compassion, about honoring yourself, your boundaries, your values. And when you start doing that more and more, things will fall apart a little bit around you, but then they find their own way of getting it back together. That's the short version. <laughs> so you go on to say, my close friends have been there for me, but I'm pretty good at hiding how low I really feel. So this is where you have close friends that you can actually share what's going on in you. But uh, this kind of rings people pleaser too, because a lot of people pleasers will do this. They will not express how they feel like, oh, I'm so upset at this person. I can't believe they did this to me. If you don't express that, then what you're doing is putting on a different mask for them. And they see what you want them to see. So you're showing up as the chameleon. They never think anything's wrong with you and you're always happy. And so they take advantage of you. They don't mean to, but they just see that, oh, Abby loves to do all these things. I might as well ask Abby. Oh, Abby loves to move this couch up three flights of stairs. Oh, Abby likes to work on weekends. Oh, Abby this, Abby that. Because you never tell them no, because you never show them that you have boundaries, that you actually care about yourself. If I'm pushing some more buttons, maybe that's a good thing. I want you to care about yourself. I want you to be able to express yourself and be yourself around people. If you're having a bad day, say, nah, I'm having a bad day. This stuff is happening to me. It doesn't mean you become Debbie Downer all the time. It just sometimes you have a bad day. Sometimes someone makes you mad. Sometimes someone gets in your face and you just want to say what you want to say. This is the stuff that if that's in there, you need to start working on. You go on to say, if you have any suggestions on episodes uh, to listen to or books to read, I would appreciate it. It's been good just to write it out. So yes, excellent. Writing it out is a great way to articulate what's going on inside of you. Plus, it gives me an opportunity to pick it apart and uh, see what could use some sort of um, behavior modification, if I can say that. Um, plus, you know, listen to episodes. Yes, listen to my episodes on people-pleasing. Listen to my episodes on personal boundaries, and read my book, The Overwhelmed Brain. There's my suggestion. There are other books out there. I just don't have them all memorized, so I'm not saying that you should only read my book. But my book is a good place to um, learn how to get to personal empowerment, uh, starting with values and honoring your personal boundaries, which I believe may be an issue in your life. And uh, the last thing you say is, thank you for being there, even though you don't know me. Your podcasts are changing lives, and I hope you know how special and amazing that is. 
While I don't know you in person, I feel grateful that you are a strange part of my life. Abby, I am very happy to be a strange part of your life. <laughs> Seriously, thank you for those words. And, uh, and, and finally, you said, uh, thank you for letting me vent. Absolutely. I need you to get this out. This is all about getting that ball of negative energy out of you, even in words on an email, even if you just need to express it, but you know you can't resolve it. It's nice just to get the energy behind it out of you so that it's not motivating every action, every behavior, so that you don't make the wrong choices in life. I want you to make choices from a place of empowerment, not disempowerment, not fear, not anger. Empowering choices are those that you make when you are self-compassionate and self-loving and self-caring and honoring your boundaries and values so that when you make these choices, you're in alignment with yourself. You're in integrity with yourself. Thanks for writing, Abby, and thanks so much for listening. We'll be right back with some thank yous and my final words after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank today's sponsor, Haven Life Insurance Agency. feels pretty good to know there's a way to help those I love, even when I'm no longer here. Visit welcome.havenlife.com forward slash brain and check out what they have to offer. And I want to thank iTunes reviewer Sila, Chila, Romero, something like that. This person said, Paul has helped me through my anxiety and has an ideal way of putting things into perspective. Thank you for being such an inspiration. Thank you for taking the time to leave that review. I appreciate you. Thank you for your words. That means a lot to me. And I want to thank the patron members. If you're a patron, you are helping to support this show through the patron program at patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. Your support is why this show keeps going. Thank you so much. And of course, if you're a patron member, you are also getting the new episodes that I'm posting up over there, private episodes and private workbooks. So it's not just about giving, it's also about getting. If you're interested in supporting the show, go to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com and check it out. And I want to thank Becky for her generous donation to the show. If you go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com, you'll see that donate button on the right. Uh, or if you're on a mobile phone, it'll be right in the center of your phone as you scroll down. Because, you know, the websites get all discombobulated and it sticks buttons in the middle and all that stuff. And there's about 70% of users that look at theoverwhelmedbrain.com on their cell phones. So that's where you'll see that button. Thank you, Becky. Thank you for your donation. Thank you for taking the time and energy and money to show that you support the show. That means a lot to me. And if you feel like you're learning something on this show or it's changed your life in some way and you want to give back, head over to the Overwhelmed Brain. You can use the donate button. You can also click on the Amazon link and use that to help support the show as well. And let me tell you about the mean workbook. Earlier I was saying if you're with a controlling partner, I feel bad for you. I mean, that's no way to end that comment. Yes, I feel bad for you, but there's also a way uh, through a controlling relationship. Yes, it could mean leaving, yes, but it could also mean working on your relationship like you've never worked on it before. It could mean getting your partner to realize just how controlling they are. They may not realize how controlling they are. This is a form of emotional abuse, and if you want to get very clear on just how much control or manipulation is in your relationship, check out the mean workbook at loveandabuse.com. 
And let me just say this. Sometimes the controlling person doesn't realize just how abusive they're being until it's pointed out. If they realize they're making you feel bad, maybe that'll be enough incentive to change. If when I was married, my wife took the 200-point assessment in the mean workbook, I probably would have been shocked to find out just how awful I was being and perhaps might have had a chance to get some help. Well, that's easy to say. I don't know exactly if I would have gotten help at that time because I was a different person. Um, but I do remember getting a book on manipulation and reading about myself in the book and thinking, wow, I do have these issues that I need to work on. So that was a little bit of an incentive. But if she handed me this assessment and showed me all of the checkboxes that showed what she was going through and what I was doing, at least I'd have more information and it would give me a choice to either put our relationship and her feelings first or my needs first. And since, you know, my needs were causing her to feel guilty and depressed and making her question her own decisions all the time, I would hope that back then I would have made different choices. I'm not proud of how I behaved but I'm glad we both survived the relationship so that she could go on to find someone who she could be or herself with and I could go on to realize just how much I needed to work on myself and uh, treat the next person right. So anyway, the mean workbook helps you identify what you need to work on. If your partner is willing to work on the relationship too, even better. There's a great chance for healing and growth. If they aren't, even after you show them your mean score and everything you, you've checked off, well, let's just say that you may have some bigger decisions to make. Either way, whatever you decide, stay or leave, the mean workbook walks you through all the thought processes that help you get into a clearer state of mind. Visit loveandabuse.com and get the assessment and healing workbook for difficult relationships today. And finally, I'd like to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And just as a final note, I'm going to touch upon sympathy and empathy. You know, we talk about controlling people, emotionally withdrawing, emotionally unavailable people, emotionally disconnected people, emotionally abusive people. Uh, but there's one common thread that I see in a lot of people who may be being emotionally abusive, and that is a lack of empathy. You'll read like narcissism and maybe even sociopathic people have a lack of empathy. I mean, have some of them, they say, have no empathy. I don't know if I truly believe that empathy can't be conjured up in someone without empathy. I don't know if I fully believe that empathy completely disappears or if someone who hasn't felt empathy all their lives couldn't necessarily feel it again. My take on empathy, well, let me just give you my definitions of sympathy versus empathy first. Sympathy is when you feel for someone else. If someone falls off a ladder, you might feel bad that they hurt themselves. Let's just say they fell, twisted their ankle. You look at them and, geez, oh my God, you know, can I help you out? You know, are you all right? Your sympathy can compel you to take action and try to help. And you feel bad that they are going through some challenge. Empathy, on the other hand, is somebody falls off a ladder, twists their ankle, and you go back to a time when you were in pain and suddenly you are now remembering your own pain while observing them in pain. And this can be a close version, if not a somewhat accurate description of empathy, where you are putting yourself in their shoes. You are experiencing it as if you are experiencing it. I mean, a good example is, and guys can relate to this, a kick in the crotch. 
<laughs> I'm sorry, I have to use this example, but typically when a guy sees another guy getting kicked in the crotch, we feel it. <laughs> we feel it. And uh, I'm sure women can relate to this on a different level, whatever the big pain point is for you. But uh, that's a great way to empathize, especially to, for a guy to see if they cringe when that happens. If they cringe, they're probably empathizing. And that's a good test. I'm not saying it's the test, but it's a good test to see, well, does empathy even exist in this person? You know, that's one form of it. That's a physical pain. But what about emotional? Emotional empathy. Can emotional empathy be created out of thin air? So again, sympathy is feeling for someone else, either usually something, you know, bad or sad. I, I feel for you. I'm so I'm so sorry that's happening. And you have compassion for that person. But empathy is, oh, you know, I can imagine how that feels and I can imagine what you're going through. I've had that happen to me too. Oh, your dog died. My dog died too. And I absolutely want to commiserate with you because I feel that pain. It's not that you experience 100% of what they're going through, but you can certainly put yourself in their shoes. So that's how I view sympathy and empathy. Now, to create empathy where there is, quote, none, my angle is to create loss in someone's life. And what I mean is I've talked with couples in relationship coaching where one person is very sensitive, very empathetic, very sympathetic, very emotionally connected, and the other person is not emotionally connected and not empathetic. And when something bad happens, especially when the non-empathetic person does something, does behavior that makes the other person feel bad, the non-empathetic person doesn't feel bad that they did it. So it's almost like there's no sympathy or empathy. But what if the empathetic person wants the other person to be emotionally connected and feel empathy and feel anything? <laughs> well, well, what do you do? I'd like to present loss or some sort of accountability, but it's usually loss. For example, let's just say that the empathetic partner lost their job. And the non-empathetic partner says, you know, what's the big deal? Just get another job. But the empathetic partner is really sad and this was his or her life and this is the paycheck. And the non-empathetic person's like, so what? You know, just get through it. You know, that's probably not the, what they would say. Uh, they might be personally affected because of the income and stuff like that. But I'm trying to use a minor example. The non-empathetic person may not understand the huge loss that the person who just lost their job is feeling. So what do you do? How do you get them to get them to empathize? My take is you figure out what would affect them if they lost it. So, you know, you think about everything in their life. Do they have kids? What if they lost one of their kids? Would you feel that loss? Because if they can access that kind of feeling, then they might be on track to empathy. Or maybe they have a nice car and uh, it got broken into. You know, what would, that, what would that feel like if it got broken into? Maybe they have a nice heirloom, a family heirloom. Maybe they have their parents' ashes. You know, something so important to them that if it was removed or stolen or burned down or whatever, how would they feel about it? And if they access their emotions and go, oh, that, that would be awful. I, I wouldn't want that to happen at all then the empathetic person can say, that's almost how this loss feels to me. So there's a comparison there. But they may not be able to empathize if you 
fell off a ladder and twisted your ankle. They may not be able to empathize because something like that maybe never happened to them, or if it did, they didn't experience the same emotional or physical pain that you went through. So what would create a feeling of loss in them? Yes, there's you know suffering too. What would create a feeling of suffering in them? And so you might have to dig a little bit. I'm not saying that you should experiment on your partners or anything like that, but uh, maybe you should. <laughs> maybe there's something about that that you can actually dig if you know someone. I mean, this doesn't have to be romantic relationships only. If you know someone who you think doesn't have any empathy, ask them questions about what is important to them. I know somebody without empathy right now. I mean, I hurt myself in front of this person and he didn't even blink. <laughs> and I had to get help myself up because he had no interest in helping me up and he didn't care. And I don't think he didn't like me or not like me. He just had no empathy or sympathy. Oh, okay, you hurt yourself. All right. It was weird. <laughs> so I look at his life and I see what's most valuable to him. And if I really cared, and if I wanted him to experience some sort of pain or loss or suffering just to empathize with me, I mean, I don't wish that upon him, but if I wanted him to experience what it was like, then I would say, hey, you know, what would happen if your son died? What would happen to you? What, how would that feel? I guarantee you he's going to go into that emotional state. And that is a good path to that emotional state that can be a start. You know, I'm not a psychologist or anything here, but I do believe that if you know someone who has, who seems to have no sympathy or empathy, maybe a good start is to find out what's important, what's valuable to them, what would be a loss if they experienced it so that you can help them relate to your pain, your loss. Just a thought, just an opinion. I haven't done blind case studies on this, but I do know that you can reach people through what they might experience as a loss. I mean, I've seen this in uh, divorces or pending divorces, separations, where the non-empathetic person just doesn't care what they're putting their future ex-spouse through. They just don't care. And they don't care until some loss might be presented to them. You know, the attorney throws something back and says, hey, this person's going to take the house. Suddenly they do care and suddenly they do want to bargain and suddenly they do want to cooperate. Suddenly you realize, ah, there's a, an emotional trigger in there. Perfect. So I thought this might be helpful for those of you who know somebody who just doesn't seem sympathetic or especially empathetic and you've tried everything. Now you have one more thing to try. Not that I'm asking you to try any of this. <laughs> but no matter what, keep an open mind so that you can step into your power. That place of power is where you are in control of yourself, of your state, of your emotions, of your thoughts. I wish I could say that we can all be in 100% of control of all these things at all times, but it just doesn't happen, at least not for me. Even with meditation, even with all the healing and growth that I've done in my life, there's still thoughts that come up. There's still pain. There's still suffering, but it just happens less and less and less. I'm not saying that there's nothing to strive for. Absolutely, there's something to strive for because you can be more happy more of the time than unhappy, and that's a great thing to strive for. That feels powerful. But no matter what, open your mind and step into your power because when you are empowered, you can be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, 
And this is something I absolutely know to be true about you. You are amazing. Amazing.